0: Lawrence woke up feeling unwell. I must have slept on my neck wrong, he thought to himself, for his neck had a cramp in it. Perhaps I hit my head on the wall in my sleep, as my head is aching to excess. Lawrence kicked his legs off the bed and rubbed his eyes as he stood up. I must have carried one too many groceries back from the market yesterday, Lawrence thought, as my muscles are panging more than usual. Lawrence walked to the washroom, staring bleakly at a wall where he expected a mirror, What a dream I must have had, Lawrence thought to himself, as he turned around to face where the mirror actually was, but the second wall also had no mirror. Lawrence rubbed the sleep once again out of his eyes and looked to each wall in turn, but there were no walls. Instead, Lawrence saw only the fabric of a large tent. Confused, Lawrence continued examining the various elements of a room that he now saw was clearly not his own. A wooden chest. A straw bedroll, a flat pillow, a burlap sack. Where was he? What had happened last night? To his memory, he had finished with his priestly duties, said his nightly devotionals, and went to bed in his own chambers, which were humble yet comfortable. Lawrence moved to the flap of the tent and raised his arm to pull it open in hopes to shed some light on the situation he was in. But he stopped when he saw his arm. Lawrence's right arm looked fairly normal well-toned, dark-skinned, with light scarring across the length of the limb. It's the kind of limb you would expect to see on a weathered adventurer. This was all well and good, save for the fact that Lawrence was a 60-year-old priest who had never seen a day of adventure in his life. Lawrence turned his head slowly, fearfully downwards, as if his own body would betray him and leap up to consume him like some kind of feral beast. What he saw, he decided, was very likely far worse than that. Hey guys, it's me. It's Josh. Uh, as you may have figured out, this is not a typical episode of Natural 19, the D&D podcast that isn't perfect, but it's still pretty good. Uh, but it is an episode and I'm it's it's different and special because I'm here on my own, which is not conducive to a podcast, a talk show podcast kind of a thing. doesn't really make much sense for that, but I'm here nonetheless because, oh boy, time is a thing and it's really hard to Get everything I need to get done done while I'm working two and a half jobs and trying to uh, keep my own business running and all this other stuff. Uh, it's it's very difficult, which leads me to my uh, uh point. Uh, this this episode's gonna be a bit of a, a bit of a special case. Um, the intro which I gave to you is an excerpt. The first three paragraphs from a uh, book I've started writing called "Crazy Little Thing Called Fate." It is d and D inspired story based around the adventures of characters that I. Kind of wish I had a chance to play as players in a D&D campaign at some point. Uh, so if you notice them all being kind of weird and goofy and over the top, that's exactly why. Uh, if that doesn't sound like your cup of tea, that's totally fine. Uh, you can skip this episode, but I would like to request if you could just listen a bit more. I just have a, a few things I would love to talk to you about and address before I uh, move forward onto the kind of reading of this, of this D&D story for you. The first thing is this. Uh, this podcast subsists off of its listeners. And uh, we could really use some help. I, I had a lot of fun with our last guest, TJ, actually answering a DD themed question. So if you wanna go ahead and throw some questions around, I don't there's no question too stupid. Uh, if you just want to throw a message to natural19podcast at gmail.com, that is natural19podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and that can be questions, it can be anecdotes, whatever you anything you want to share, any d related stuff. I kinda wanna make this a safe dungeons and dragons space. And that'll be. That would be cool. I'd be be cool with that. I think that would be a fun thing to do. Um, But more so than that, this podcast is uh, 11 episodes long as of this episode, which, if you know me, is absolutely wild because for a Josh Kurtz project, that might as well be an eternity. I've, I do a lot of projects and I start a lot of projects in my time and typically they, they last a grand total of like four and a half seconds and then I, I forget about them forever and never go back to them again. So the fact that I've done – I mean the double digits of episodes is actually very surprising to me. And I didn't think I'd be able to do it. But the fact of the matter is it's really fun. I'm actually really enjoying making this podcast for you guys. But my worry is that you guys are like four people uh, and it's tough to justify – Taking time from two and a half jobs and taking time from trying to have a social life to create a podcast that very few people are listening to, so my uh, implorement for you is that to to keep this going, so I can keep this going, if you could tell people about this podcast, word of mouth is our best advertiser, but also if you want to go on like iTunes and leave us a review, that would really help. Anything you can do to kind of get the word out uh, and help help people see this, so that more people can experience D and D in the crazy stories that come along with it. I'd be really appreciative of that uh, because quite honestly, with with only 5, 10, 20, even 20 people listening to this, as much fun as it is to make, I have gotta stay alive and do regular things, and it's gonna be really hard to keep it going with a very small listener base. So if you want to hear more of this podcast, if you like what you're doing, we want to hear more of it, just tell your friends. That's the best thing you can do. If you got get get some more listeners involved in this in this wacky adventure we have going on, this uh this little little DD podcast. Uh but I don't ask I don't ask for donations, I'm not asking for money. I would just love to know that people are appreciating the product I'm putting out, and that's that would be enough for me. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, and I think it's about it. So uh, yeah, send us, your, send us your questions and tell your friends. And for as long as I can continue doing this podcast, I would love to continue sharing it with you. And if you didn't enjoy the first uh, little excerpt I gave you, then you can stop listening now. And that's fine. And uh, come back next episode. I'll have a guest back. We should uh, be back on the regular schedule for things. And if you did enjoy that excerpt, uh, listen on. I'm going to keep uh, telling you about what Lawrence saw when he looked down at his arm. Uh, and we'll, we'll get back into it. So without further ado, this is The continuation of uh, quest number one in the book Crazy Little Thing Called Fate, known as Home is Where the Heart Actually Physically Is. Lawrence had a fit, muscled body clad in light leather clothing, a sleeveless tunic, moderately thick greaves, boots lacing up to the knee, and a series of belts and buckles holding various pouches and weapons, a heavy dagger, long and lightly serrated, a light crossbow, small and easily concealable a line of unidentifiable marble-sized spheres that may or may not have been smoke capsules, and a few other unpleasant-looking devices that Lawrence had neither the ability nor desire to identify. Also, the body had a few key, very difficult-to-ignore features that identified Lawrence's body as female. To put it more simply, Lawrence looked quite healthy for a 60-year-old man. She screamed. As he should have expected, but did not, The voice that came out was significantly higher in pitch and volume than the voice he had become comfortable with in his old age. Lawrence began to hyperventilate, breathing quickly as his mind failed to process what could possibly be happening. She looked all over the tent for an answer, for anything, for... And he figured it out. He was dreaming. Of course, he must be dreaming. She looked down again, waiting for the details to become foggy, as details in dreams so often did. But they didn't. He noticed that she was instinctually clutching onto the dangerous-looking knife that was in her left hand. Lawrence tried to loosen her grip, but her muscles would not let him make that decision. He did not feel safe enough. Boss, what ha- A blur of motion and violence transpired in an instant. A burly half-orc, dressed in heavy iron armor, had entered the tent, clearly worried at Lawrence's outburst. He carried in one hand a hefty axe, and was using the other to push the flap of the tent open. He was incredibly threatening in appearance, and while Lawrence tended to withhold judgment, his instincts had changed to match his new form. In a fraction of a second, Lawrence had torn his knife from its sheath and adeptly plunged it into a gap in the half-orc's armor, where it continued forward, piercing flesh, sliding through bone, and puncturing a lung, before Lawrence swiftly pulled the weapon out again. Blood burst from the wound, drenching Lawrence's hand as she pulled her weapon back to her side. The half work gurgled, trying to make audible words but finding that impossible due to his newfound injury. Lawrence stared horrified as the wounded warrior collapsed to his knees and lingered for only a moment before falling to the ground. With the threat eliminated, Lawrence forced herself to loosen her grip on the dagger and drop it to the ground. Lawrence stood frozen, looking down at the weapon and body that now lie in front of her. Or no, just the body. The knife was already back in her hand, and she was in the process of wiping the blood on her leather tunic and sheathing it again. He tried to stop herself from doing this, but his will wasn't strong enough to fight her instincts. Filled with distress, Lawrence ran her hands through her hair, which proved to be much harder than it should have been. Instead of short grey bristles, Lawrence had long, knotted brown hair, which had now been painted red due to the blood soaking her left hand. Lawrence pulled her knife out of its sheath with her right hand, forcing himself to fight the instincts that controlled his newfound body. He tried to throw it to the ground, but when her hand would not loosen its grip again, Lawrence found himself back in a panic and began breathing heavily. I need air, he thought, and pushed through the flap of his tent, exiting as quickly as possible. Outside, the sun shone brightly onto a grassy field, and in the middle of a none-too-dense woods, which currently served as the home for what seemed to be an entire encampment. A collection of humanoid figures, of varying race and gender, stood in close proximity to the tent Lawrence had just exited, staring at her with confusion and concern. While there was no sort of uniform look suggesting any military or fraternal bond, each figure wore crude clothing and armor and carried vicious weapons. Lawrence's gaze locked for a moment with a lanky elven man, who had one palm warily on a thin-bladed weapon. The man had three perpendicular scars running from brow to cheek, crossing over an eye that had been gouged beyond repair, and rested now only for aesthetic purposes, no longer able to take in the light. You okay, boss? The elf asked, as Lawrence continued to make eye contact. What happened in there? Whose blood is that? Another of the scoundrels asked, gesturing to Lawrence's hand, or perhaps her hair. He couldn't tell. When Lawrence failed to answer any of the questions posed to her, more came in questions like where is boordier or do you need me to stab someone or any other number of horrifying and uncomfortable queries that Lawrence couldn't even begin to think of how to answer meeting Lawrence's ears in ever more rapid velocity instead of answering as loudly as he could muster in a voice that was not his Lawrence said i the commotion ceased as the crowd waited with bated breath to hear what Lawrence had to say i have to go and so she went Lawrence sprinted through the crowd and into the woods. Lawrence sprinted over fallen trees and through thorny bushes. Lawrence ran as far as she could for as long as she could, which for a 60-year-old priest out of shape from day after day of standing and giving mass was 200 feet over the course of roughly 35 seconds. For a 30-year-old woman seasoned in combat, travel, and crime, it was roughly 15 miles across a river, up a small mountain, down a small mountain, and into a town over the course of roughly seven hours. Lawrence finally stopped to catch her breath, at the edge of a small village he did not recognize. She collapsed to her hands and knees, gasping for air, shaking in fear and exhaustion. Her hand was still covered in blood that had long since dried and crusted over. Every step of the run, Lawrence had hoped that this was all a bad dream, that he would awake as himself a kindly priest of a kindly god, and not as a murderer whose first instinct when faced with fear was to take a human life, rather than offer understanding and forgiveness. Lawrence allowed herself to topple onto her side, curl into a ball, and weep. And yet, she did not weep. He felt the need to weep, but could not, as if weeping were an activity that this new body were completely incapable of. So instead, he closed her eyes and rocked back and forth, praying quietly in his own head to be freed of this nightmare. For some time, nobody took note of Lawrence's location, Her pursuers, the ones outside of her tent that had run after her, gave up as she had easily outpaced and outlasted them on foot. And so, after a period of time that felt like an eternity, Lawrence drifted into a deep, restless sleep. Let us, for a moment, examine another part of what will soon be the same story. Please ignore any apparent similarities in theme and content. The two parts of this story do not yet have anything to do with one another. David, stood in the washroom of his humble yet comfortable living quarters, gazing into a mirror that was exactly where he had expected it to be. He examined his face, his eyes, his teeth, his hair. It all looked so very familiar, yet felt so very strange. He was an attractive man enough, not that that meant anything particular to David now. He had short red hair, a kind yet strong face, and hazel eyes. He was built like an adventurer. Not all muscles and power, but sleek and fit from being physically active on a daily basis. He wore a white robe, split in two at the bottom, to separate the legs, with a few small plates of thin steel protecting key areas such as his shoulders, waist, knees, elbows, and back. On his chest, red dye depicted a simplified shape of what a child might imagine the sun to look like. David took a step backwards from the mirror. "'Hello,' David said to his reflection." His reflection said hello back at the same time, borrowing the sound from David to give meaning to the movement of its lips. My name is David. David frowned slightly, upset with the way the words sounded to him. It didn't sound natural. Then he became distracted by how a frown looked on his face. It was instinctive, which was good, but it wouldn't always be. David put his face back into a neutral state and attempted to mimic the look of the frown. Having no success, he went back to his original task. Hello, my name is... He stopped himself, and adjusted his weight slightly more onto one leg. Hello, my name is David. 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 My name is David. I am David. David is my name. That almost sounded right. He blinked. David is my name. It was a response to a question that had not been asked. Hello. This would be only the first of David's many trials whilst he attempted to blend in with the other humanoid creatures of the world he now resided on. David, as he would tell no one for some time, was not of this world. He was an extraterrestrial energy, tasked with the observation of the creatures that roamed this small planet, and for decades he had watched and learned from a distance. But now... The others of David's race, had decided that he had learned all he could have learned without stepping into the society itself, and so sent him to take control of a human body for a closer look at the world. As such, the previous David's spirit was most unfortunately displaced, leaving the new David, whose birth name should not be pronounced by mortal tongue nor written by mortal word, in a body that he had a significant amount of work to do with before it felt natural to reside in. David kept at his work for some time, but he felt himself growing impatient, When his task had been to watch, it had been easy to take in every detail, every instant, with complete understanding and lack of desire. But even now, he felt his new human body succumbing to the horrifying feeling of necessity. His stomach growled, as if he had years ago swallowed some living creature, which had somehow survived for nearly a decade and was only now making a fuss. And so, this impatience building, David left his comfortable yet humble abode and headed out into the town for his first taste both of food and social interaction. David strolled through town with all the confidence of a man who had just drunk one too many pints of mead, and so believed he could take on the king's soldier that was at the bar with him despite having no combat experience. And likened to this man, David assumed he was far more competent at walking than he actually was. Also like this man, he assumed he was far more competent at fighting than he actually was, though this particular brand of hubris was irrelevant to David's current situation. Having received only a small number of curious glances on the way to the local tavern, David considered his first journey into the public a success and pulled the door to the bar open. However, the door did not open. David stopped, confused. He pulled it again, with no more success than the previous attempt. He had seen this scenario time and time again. Approach tavern, pull door, enter tavern. David looked to the sky. Perhaps the sun had set and night had overtaken him while he was examining his teeth. But no. He had seen taverns entered at night as well. Also, the sun was still high in the sky. David pressed his ear against the door and heard the murmur of voices from inside. So, it was not closed at all. He pulled the door again. The door opened, though not through David's efforts. From inside, a female patron of the tavern had pulled the door inwards, jolting David in the direction he should have been moving if he had wanted the door to open for him as it had for the woman. The woman was slightly younger than him and slightly drunker than him. David, now off balance, fell onto her, barely catching himself by putting a foot forward and grabbing onto the shoulders of the tipsy commoner in front of him. She instinctively caught David as he fell by placing both of her hands directly on his chest. The woman giggled. "'Well, hey there,' she said, a flirtatious tone in her voice. David, having seen humans flirt before, tackled the situation as best as he could based on what he knew and what he had practiced. "'David is my name!' The woman stared dumbfounded at David for a moment, before reasoning that perhaps she had had one drink too many. She ducked under David's arm to continue on her way. David, who had still been resting his weight on the woman in front of him, toppled forward through the now-open door of the tavern. He caught himself on his shoulder and tumbled vaguely forward, using the momentum to return almost gracefully to his feet. He looked from side to side, aware that what he had just done was far from normal. Fortunately, nobody had paid much attention to the event and he was able to continue, undeterred. The tavern was a comforting sight for David. It looked very familiar. Flickering lanterns, wooden tables, clusters of men and women sharing drinks and stories around the hearth. David had spent much of his time studying taverns, as they always seemed to be a hub of social interaction. David put one foot in front of the other more naturally than before, taking on a casual gait as he approached the bar, and took a seat on one of the stools. It was uncomfortable, and he shifted his weight often to attempt to make it more comfortable. Or perhaps, David thought, it was meant to be uncomfortable. Perhaps that was part of the charm. He decided to stop shifting, and to enjoy the discomfort like any normal human would. Get you something, the bartender asked, wiping the counter with a bolt of mildly soiled cloth. The bartender was a stout fellow with a large beard. David recognized him as a dwarf, but knew better than to say so, People tended not to identify one another upon meeting them. Instead, he dipped back into his wide array of people-like greetings. Hello, my name is David. That sounded right. David smiled, pleased with himself. Then he realized that being pleased about introducing herself was strange and corrected his face to a frown. Then he realized that frowning about smiling was strange and took on a more awkwardly neutral face, which didn't really make sense in any given situation. Yes. David said, finally deciding to cut his losses and move on, answering the bartender's question. I would like a cold one, please. Come right up, the dwarf said, and turned around to get a flagon for David. David let out a sigh, leaning on the counter in front of him. Being social, David decided, was exhausting. He would need a lot of practice before it felt natural. Y'all right there, the bartender asked, returning with a full flagon of ale and setting it on the counter. David looked up at the bartender and took his flagon, leaning back again, trying to act as a normal person would. Normal people did not distress over the difficulty of social situations, except in the privacy of their own homes, with close friends. But even that was a social situation, so David didn't quite understand what made it an exception. I am fine, thank you very much, David said, and reached into a pouch on his person to withdraw the currency needed for a monetary transaction. Five coins, if he remembered correctly. He placed the coins on the counter and the bartender gaped, wide-eyed. As a normal human who feels normal compassion, David knew he had to respond to the apparent distress of the bartender or risk being viewed as either foolish or cruel, neither of which he fancied being. "'Y'all right there?' David asked, accidentally copying the exact inflection the bartender had used when asking him the same thing. The bartender didn't seem to notice. He was preoccupied with the coins on the counter. "'Those are gold pieces,' the bartender said. David was slightly confused. He knew that, but had only ever seen people accept currency for what it was unless it was not enough currency. David was certain five coins was enough for his drink, so he assumed instead that the bartender was simply a fellow who could appreciate the simpler things in life, like identifying obvious facts of the world that were plain to all present. David decided to make use of this knowledge to befriend the bartender by sharing in the activity of pointing out the simple, obvious facts about the world. You are a dwarf! The bartender narrowed his eyes. What expression was this? David had trouble remembering emotions out of context. It was so hard to identify them from far away. Narrowed eyes was... focus, he thought. Yes, the bartender was focused. What's that supposed to mean? he asked. You think I need your charity? His tone was deeper than before, grittier. No, this wasn't focus. This was anger. He was attempting to engage in a conflict. In all of David's experience, he saw conflict best diverted by agreement. So he agreed. Yes! David said, enthusiastic about his ability to figure out the correct way to respond to a difficult situation. He considered the possibility of his error as the dwarf grabbed the counter in front of him and with a mighty thrust of both arms and legs, pulled himself over it, moving towards David with the intensity of a particularly motivated racehorse. At first glance, this looked like an aggressive movement, like the bartender was attempting to cause physical harm to David by engaging in combat. But that wouldn't make sense. David had just diffused the situation he decided that this must simply be a very excited hug. Hugs were often used as gestures of appreciation between two comrades with respect for one another. David decided, after he had collided with the floor and been punched squarely in the jaw three times, that this was most likely not a very excited hug. David also decided that he did not like pain. He understood the necessity of it, since without pain you would not know that you were in danger and that you should stop doing whatever it was that was causing you pain, but he wished he could turn it on and off. For instance, being punched is a fairly obvious source of harm. He didn't need his body telling him to stop being punched. Though, as he thought about this during the seventh, eighth, and ninth punches, perhaps he did need it after all. Call me poor, will ya? The bartender shouted through a series of violent blows. I'll show you how poor I am! By the power of the divines I command you to be calm, David said through a mouthful of blood. His eyes glowed white for a moment, as did the eyes of the dwarf atop him. Magic was something David had a fairly strong understanding of, and David's magic power stemmed from beings called the divines. David had, while observing the body he would one day take over, seen him say that exact phrase in that exact way when somebody was punching him repeatedly in the face, or in other ways causing him undue harm. It worked just as well in those situations as it had in this one. The bartender stopped his fist midair and breathed out a deep sigh. He pushed himself awkwardly off of David, stood, and walked calmly around to his place behind the bar. David also stood up, but unlike the bartender, was dizzy and bleeding. Next time, David thought, I'll defuse the situation sooner. That would be better for everyone involved. As he sat back on the stool, blood dripping slowly from his mouth and nose, David distracted himself from discomfort and pain by wondering how he had lost control of the situation in the first place. "'Let me get that for you,' the bartender said, gesturing to David's face. The dwarf leaned over the bar, resting his free hand on the wood to support his weight, and using the wash rag he had left on the counter earlier to sop the blood from David. Sorry about that. Don't know what came over me. Anyway, it gave me too much coin. A pint of ale only cost five copper. No need for the fancy rich folk money. And it clicked. Why hadn't he thought of it sooner? Of course, David thought, of course different coins are worth different amounts. He knew that. Copper was less than silver, which was less than gold he knew that quite well. He had studied it time and time again. Why was he so distracted as to let such a crucial bit of information slip through his memory in that instant? It was as if the brain he now possessed had tried to cram all of the information he had taken over the years inside, but little bits were slipping through the cracks. David did not particularly fancy being human, he thought. Of course, I'm sorry, David said, retrieving the money from the counter. He placed it back in the coin pouch and fished around for some copper to pay for the drink instead, dribbling a few specks of blood onto the coins as he did so. The dwarf reached forward to wipe David's face with the already bloody cloth to clear the new blood that had formed there. David didn't want this to happen, but at risk of creating another conflict, he allowed it. Once David's face was, again, very temporarily, clear of blood, the bartender took the five copper coins as payment and placed them in a pouch hanging from his belt. David took his ale, And then took a long drink from it, as he had so often seen men of the tavern do. The ale was positively the worst thing that David had ever tasted. Of course, it was also the second thing that David had ever tasted, the first being his own blood. Still, he decided he should rather drink blood than ale. David continued to drink. People liked drinking ale, they did it all the time, and always enjoyed it. And so, David continued gulping down the disgusting swill until his flagon was completely empty, at which point he slammed the glass on the table as often he had seen done. He slammed it, perhaps, with a bit too much pep and vigor, as the flagon shattered in his hands, spraying glass in all directions. "'That good, eh?' the bartender asked. "'One another?' That was the most disgusting thing I have ever tasted. David just didn't understand. He was trying. He really was. But as the dwarfs' fists again began colliding with David's face, he could only wonder what he had done so wrong. According to every parent raising their child who seemed decent and well-liked, one should always be honest. So why didn't the bartender appreciate David speaking honestly? David tried to utter the words to a calming spell, but his mouth was preoccupied by being full of blood and teeth. David pondered the concept that perhaps pain wasn't so bad after all, as the more times he was punched, the less lucid he was, and the easier it was to endure each next hit. He pondered this all the way to unconsciousness, and his whole world went blissfully dark and silent. In what may very well be called the second most disappointing revelation in Lawrence's life, he awoke as the sun rose to find himself still in the body of a muscular rogue woman, her hand caked in blood, her legs aching from running for an entire day. Slowly uncurling from a fetal position, Lawrence stood up and decided that this was a test of some sort. He was being tested. With this resolve, he decided to make the most of the situation, and pass this test as immediately as possible. He needed to find his body. Lawrence took a deep breath and took in her surroundings. Her senses were incredible, making her hyper-aware of everything. Sight, sound, scent. She heard running water from nearby. Lawrence would have to get herself cleaned up before trying to enter the town she had arrived in the night before. So, with a newfound calm amidst his state of distress, Lawrence walked towards the sound of running water. Within the minute, she found a small babbling brook and knelt down beside it. The water was cold and crisp, running ever so slightly red as Lawrence dipped her left hand into it and began scrubbing it clean with the other. The things she was feeling were alien to Lawrence. It had been so long since she had felt anything out of the ordinary, anything that strayed from his routine it was almost refreshing. He found this to be a relief, a silver lining behind the hurricane that was his life at the moment. Lawrence paused in her cleaning as he noticed her reflection. He had not, until this moment in time, seen her face. She was far younger than him, and her face was wild, worn, and scarred. Her eyes were keen and alert. Her jaw was strong. Her cheekbones were narrow. It felt like looking into a warped picture rather than a reflection of any kind. It was all very unsettling. Lawrence grimaced, and set back to the work of cleaning her hand. It took Lawrence several minutes to scrub the last of the dried blood from her skin. Examining her hand in the still-rising sun, Lawrence couldn't shake the idea that there was still a tint of red there, but no matter how much she cleaned, he still saw that, and so decided that it was good enough and would fade in time. And so, Lawrence stood, and headed with even gait, to the town he had almost entered the night before. The town was only just starting to wake up. In the distance, Lawrence heard the fires of the forge crackling to life, heard the chatter of early risers headed to market. Lawrence looked around. Nothing seemed familiar. How far from his home was she? Surely he must be close enough that someone knew the way. Surely going home must be the first step to completing his test. Lawrence found the first person he could in the street, a young woman carrying a sack of fruit, and gave a polite wave. Excuse me, said Lawrence's still unfamiliar voice, as she gave a little wave to get the woman's attention. The woman turned and took a startled step backwards upon seeing Lawrence. Hello, ma'am. I'm sorry to bother you, but do you know the way to Yoba Village? I, uh, the woman stammered, mildly confused. I can't say that I do. I'm sorry. Thank you anyway. And so Lawrence continued, finding a middle-aged man walking elsewhere. He responded similarly to the woman when Lawrence got his attention. Excuse me, young man. Lawrence said to a man she realized moments later was older than she was. Do you know the way to Yoba Village? Never heard of it, the man said, taking a hesitant step backwards. Best of luck. And he was off. Lawrence began to worry. What if she was in another country? On another continent? She took a deep breath. If Lawrence's home were truly that far, it was just another part of the test. He would make it home. Hey, you there. Lawrence turned to see who was talking to her. It was a young man with dark... Hey, you there. Lawrence turned to see who was talking to her. It was a young man with dark brown hair and knowing green eyes. You new here? Uh, yes, Lawrence responded. Just got in this morning. Thought so, the man replied. Got that adventurer look about you. Looking for a job? Actually, I'm just trying to get back to my home, Lawrence said, handily changing the subject. Do you know the way to Yoba Village, by any chance? Yoba, the man asked, stroking a beard that wasn't there. Yeah, it's southwest of here. Just a few weeks on foot, a few days, you're riding something fast. Thank you, sir, Lawrence said. Thank you so much. Reinvigorated with an attainable goal, Lawrence began to walk, looking for the stables so she could hire a carriage, or perhaps just buy a horse, as he assumed this new body knew how to ride one. What's the hurry? The man asked. Didn't even catch your name. Oh, uh... Lawrence stopped, politely turning to answer the man. Law. She froze. Lawrence was not a woman's name. He had to salvage the situation as quickly as possible. If someone were to find out her true identity, it could complicate his journey back. Ren. Lauren. Lauren, huh? The man took a few paces toward her. Well, hear me out, Lauren. I'm only asking you because you look like you can handle yourself, and our humble town could use the services of an adventurer like you. Oh, I really can I. Lauren stopped herself again. Was this part of the test? Was he meant to help these people? Was it right to put himself before the good of others? No. He would try. Well, maybe. What seems to be the problem? There's a giant troll up north, just about a six-hour hike, the man said, launching into an explanation. Lives in a nasty old cave, been terrorizing the town for years, but recently it's been getting worse. Comes in, eats everything it can get its mouth around, and runs back to its cave, roaring and moaning the whole time. Few more visits like the one a week ago, and we could be done for. Think he could handle it? Oh, goodness, Lawrence said, having sudden and sinking doubts about if this were part of his test or not. I mean, I'm not much of a fighter. You look like you're something of a fighter, the man countered. Look like you could handle yourself quite well in a fight, unless that's your blood all over your head. Lawrence's eyes widened. She had forgotten that her hair was still stained by the blood of the orc that she had killed. Oh, no, it's... Lawrence struggled to fabricate something. Lying was not his strong suit. Well... "'Yes,' she said. "'I suppose I've fought before, but... "'a troll?' "'Giant troll,' the man said. "'Quite large. "'But you'll probably be fine. "'I... "'really ought to be going,' Lawrence said and turned to leave again. "'Whatever you say, Father.' "'Lawrence froze before turning slowly around. "'The man was waiting for her, looking after her as she left. "'Father?' "'Lawrence was almost hopeful, asking the question. "'Nothing. "'Never mind.' the man said dismissively. You remind me of a priest, Is all The way you talk, the way you avoid conflict by justifying your actions rather than actually taking a stand to fix a problem. You know, the usual priest stuff. Now, since being transferred into a body that was not his own, Lawrence had been well aware that his instincts were not the same as they had been. For instance, if insulted by a passerby whilst in his own body, he would simply ask the divines to forgive them and be on his way. Now, her instinct had very little to do with speaking and far more to do with the knife that her left hand was quietly gripping. Lawrence took a deep breath and loosened his grip. This was a test. He knew it now, beyond a shadow of a doubt. I apologize for giving you that impression, Lawrence said, both of priests and of myself. Which direction, again, will I find the monster's cave? The dark-haired man watched as Lawrence strode northward with confidence. Once she was out of sight, The man withdrew from his pocket a small glass sphere filled with swirling orange mist. It was roughly the size of a strawberry, and the man did in fact raise it to his lips, but not to eat. Instead, he spoke quietly and clearly into the object. He said, Father Lawrence is on his way to the cave. David awoke, head pounding, in a dimly lit alleyway at midday. He was quite sore, which wasn't a feeling he was particularly acclimated to. He struggled to rise, slowly, and lifted his hands to the part of himself that was in the most pain, his face. His nose crumpled beneath his gentle touch, and his own blood had dried to his skin. David frowned. All signs indicated that his first ever social interaction had gone poorly. He would have to try harder in the future. I call upon the power of the divines to heal these minor wounds, David said, Another phrase he had heard the previous David say, in the situation of one requiring more physical wellness than they possessed. A tingling sensation spread through David's head as his bones snapped back into place, his bruises receded, and the cuts on his lips and eyes sealed themselves. Within a few moments, David was whole again and felt ready to take on the world, or ready to take on maybe one other person who had less of a temper than the dwarven bartender. David took in his surroundings. The alley seemed to be just behind the tavern where David had undergone his unfortunate encounter. He followed the cobblestone pathway out of the alley and into the streets, making his way from the tavern towards the market. Perhaps there, he could get a closer look at real-life social interactions while not having to actively partake until he felt ready. His plan was quickly interrupted, however, by a voice from behind him. Hey, you there, the voice said. David stopped, assuming the call was toward him. He turned around, at what he presumed was a normal pace, to turn and face someone who had called out to you, a pace which was, of course, entirely too fast, and almost left him on the ground from the velocity of the spin. David looked at the figure who had most certainly addressed him. It was a young man with dark brown hair and knowing green eyes. You knew here? Yes, David said, realizing moments later that he, in fact, was supposed to have lived here for some time now. No! Is what I meant? I meant no. But I said yes. I do that sometimes. "'Right, I get it. You looking for work?' "'I don't believe I am. It was taking all of David's effort not to grin like an imbecile at how well this conversation seemed to be going. But thank you for asking. "'Look, I'm only asking because you look like you could handle yourself, and this town could use the services of an adventurer like you.' "'Could they?' David asked. "'Whatever do you mean?' "'There's a giant troll down south, just about a two-hour hike,' the man said, launching into an explanation. "'Lives in a nasty old cave. Been terrorizing the town for years, but recently it's been getting worse.' Comes in, eats everything he can get its mouth around, then runs back to its cave, roaring and moaning the whole time. A few more visits like the one a week ago, and we could be done for. Think you could handle it? David thought about this. At the moment, he thought, it was all he could do to handle a normal conversation. The last time he had tried that, he wound up unconscious in a back alley with a broken nose and a wounded pride. And yet, from what he knew of David, the cleric, the one whose body he had taken, David would answer yes in this scenario. David was a helpful person, who did the right thing because it was right, and who faced his fears like a heroic warrior. It was for these reasons that current David had chosen him as a host. He embodied values that the new David would like to embody as well. And so, he nodded with a smile, saying, David could handle it, yes. Then he realized what he had done. Me. I could handle it. I... David is my name. Once David was out of sight, trudging south as he had been instructed, the man withdrew a small glass sphere from his pocket. It was swirling with an orange mist and roughly the size of a strawberry. He raised it to his lips and spoke. Nyoradlias is en route to the cave. And that's it. That's quest one, guys. I called the chapters quests because I'm a nerd. Um, I know that was, that was kind of a... I'm looking at the record time now and I'm realizing this episode was a little bit longer than I kind of wanted a solo episode to be, but I kind of just wanted to get through the first quest, so if you're still listening now, uh, thanks uh i'd really appreciate your feedback if you like the story and want to hear more of this go ahead and let me know maybe i can do a separate like a bonus episode every now and then with the story and if not that's totally fine you'll never hear from this again uh but i would really appreciate if you go on itunes leave us a review that would mean the world and even more so than that Find a few friends, people who like D&D or people who maybe you think could like D&D and point them in the direction of this podcast. Share it around on Facebook, uh, social media, whatever you want. Uh, I'd really appreciate the word of mouth. Uh, I think it's about all I've got for this week. Uh, So yet again, if you've got any questions for us, if you're a player in a difficult situation or a DM with a difficult player, go ahead and email us at natural19podcastgmail.com. And I think it's going to be it. So guys, thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you next time.